Friends, it is uh, good to be here again, and I give you warm greetings, a blessed uh, 2024 New Year to you. And uh, as we turn our attention toward the new year and all, a period of transition, um, a thought occurs to me that uh, last summer, my son Andrew and I uh, decided to set our sights on conquering a mountain, uh, Mount Adams. Has anyone here climbed Mount Adams? Okay, we've got one. Excellent. Very good. Oh, there's another one. Perfect. Oh, outstanding. We've got some here. Well, that's, that is great. It is a great mountain to climb, and I've got a little picture to show you at one particular spot on the mountain. I'm the guy on the left, by the way. That's my son Andrew on the right there. But uh, at one particular spot, you what you have to do is you actually have to traverse this glacier that you can see behind us from one rock boulder, uh, uh, boulder field to the other side over here. And... Uh, it's, it's a bit delicate, a bit precarious, because it's like a, a solid sheet of ice that, that's uh, very steep there. And several well-prepared hikers that were properly equipped, we watched them with crampons attached to the bottoms of their boots, uh, spikes sticking into the snow and ice, and uh, had ice axes with them. And they were making their way up, slowly up, that steep glacier field. Well, in contrast to this, my son Andrew and I decided uh, we didn't need to mess around with all that sort of, of business, crampons and ice axe and, and proper equipment. And uh, so we did the best we could digging our boots into that ice. Every so often, um, our boots slipped. More often mine than his. And... I started a rapid descent down to uh, an unfortunate end down there. And so I'm grabbing onto the ice for everything I can, nothing else to grab onto, trying to stop my rapid descent. I was poorly equipped. Well, you know what, friends? Um, as I think about it, parts of life are like that glacier field that we need to cross um, uh, from one boulder field to the other in life. And we can uh, put that picture away now. And, um, and, and as I think about it, challenges and, and uh, various changes in our lives, maybe for, like going from 2023 to 2024 and other challenges and changes that God might bring across our paths this year, well, they need to be successfully navigated, whether they're challenges and changes vocationally. Maybe it's a career change, starting a new job or, or something like this. Maybe it's relational changes with family or, or friends or co-workers, economic changes. Maybe there's, there's challenges that we will face financially or spiritual challenges that lay out in front of us. In Joshua 1, the passage that you heard read for you this morning, God offers the equipment that we will desperately need to be successful in navigating the challenges and changes of life rather than slipping into fear and dismay. By obeying God's word 
and trusting in God's promises, we can be strong and courageous traversing the transitions of life. Now, before we get into our text, let's let's uh, get a, a view of of the context of what's going on in Israel at this time. Israel was uh, at a point of transition in their own history. God has clearly chosen Joshua. He's made that known to Moses in Deuteronomy 31. Uh, Joshua, by the way, his name means the Lord is salvation, same meaning as the name Jesus. And Joshua has been called to lead Israel after Moses' death, and, uh, and he's got some very, very large sandals to fill, doesn't he? I mean, you think about Moses, the deliverer of the nation of Israel out of Egypt and all the amazing things that happened for 40 years in the wilderness. How in the world would Joshua lead this rebellious nation of God's people? So picture... Now, Israel is camped at the edge of the Jordan River, uh, which, by the way, according to Joshua chapter 3, verse 15, is that flood stage, and so it's maybe double its width. There is no way that any Israelite is going to be able to cross it. And stretching out in front of them is the promised land. That gives you a bit of the setting, the context of our passage today. And please have your Bibles open, and as we look at chapter 1, verse 1, we see a bit of a a link, a tie together with the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, or Torah, and into the book of Joshua. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and then we continue on with verses 2 through 9, what what uh, the Lord said to Joshua, the main focus of the message this morning. In this way, we see a tie together, the death of Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, and into the book of Joshua. Just the same as the end of Joshua has the death of Joshua, and Judges picks up that and moves on with the next leader, emphasizing that God continues to guide his people. And he uses this man and this man and this one, this one and this one. People come and go, but God continues to guide his people. And we are reminded of our our main point this morning as we move through how God speaks to Joshua in this time of transition Be strong and courageous, obeying God's word and trusting in God's promises. And I invite you to follow along. There's a there's a a sheet there. You probably already have it out. I see some of you with your pens or pencils or whatever. Feel free to take some notes, jot some points that the, the Spirit is nudging you with a bit of application in your life. We'll see this morning. The call to be strong and courageous, obeying God's word and trusting in God's promises. We see that God gives Joshua three commands with four correlating promises tied together to help him to traverse the transitions through turbulent times. Three commands. First of all, the command to arise and go. You could see in your Bible, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. To receive the land that God has promised to the Israelites, Joshua and Israel would need to get up, cross the Jordan River, They would need to enter into the promised land. They would need to conquer the enemy nations. They would need to divide up the land between the tribes and establish themselves spiritually all the time trusting that God is with them. The rest of the book of Joshua documents this into Judges and and Kings. And we see this exact thing happening. God's promise does not mean... That his people sit back and do nothing waiting for the fulfillment of that promise to land in their laps. And so Joshua in the, in the following parts of uh, uh, chapter 1 there, verses 10 through 15, Joshua communicates God's words to the people of Israel and they respond in verses 16 to 18 saying, We will obey We will follow the Lord God and you, Joshua. Friends, our trust in God's promises does not lead us to complacent passivity, but rather to action, to a faith-filled, obedient response. We see this. Uh, theme running through the rest of scripture you can look up uh, later Ephesians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 James chapter 2 again and again we see this this parallel between God's promises and a faith-filled obedient response of action church of God we are called to arise and go Arise and go. Our second command that we see as we walk through, and and I'm going to jump down initially down to verse 6, and then we'll come back and pick up the the, uh, middle verses there a bit later. Uh, But verse 6, we see, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The command, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only, repeat it again, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then dropping down again, we see a third time in verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you. It's the main trust of God's word for Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Joshua would need strength. He would need courage to do all that God had called him to do. And you remember that uh, strength and courage, ah, they were not exactly in Israel's wheelhouse, were they? You just remember back to like Numbers 13, Numbers 14, and uh, Moses sends the spies into that promised land and 
And they come back with a report. How did Israel respond? Strength and courage? No, it was just the opposite. Fear at the enemy nations. Dismay at any delay in the fulfillment of God's promises. Like we read about fear and dismay down in verse 9. These must be overcome by trust in the Lord. God tells Joshua that his strength, his courage, flow from believing in God's promises, verse 6, from obeying God's word, in verse 7, and from abiding in God's presence, verse 9. And friends, the same exact thing is true for us today. We can have strength and courage as we follow God's plan. But keep in mind, Paul reminds us that our strength, our courage, do not come from ourselves. I'm going to just pick myself up by my own bootstraps and be a strong man or woman. No, no, no. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength comes from Christ. This is why Paul could remind Timothy that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. He says in 2 Timothy 1.7, be strong and courageous. God's charge to Joshua and for us today as well. Be strong and courageous. And then our third command that we look at in verses 7 and 8, speak, think, and do the word of God. Speak, think, and do the word. Look with me at, at uh, as I read through verse 7 again and then into verse 8. Only be strong and very courageous, the Lord says, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Notice in verse 7, the command to be strong and courageous, very courageous, is tied together with the participle being careful to do according to all the law. While you are obeying the law, you will be strong and courageous. They go hand in hand together. And God reiterates this again and again as we go a bit deeper in verse 7. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left. Don't turn from it. Don't, don't Imagine, for example, that uh, God's word, think of it as a, as a path. A path that you are called to, to follow, not wandering to the right hand or to the left. Think about all the temptations and distractions that you might have pulling you away from obedience to God's word. Think about uh, like the, the book Pilgrim's Progress. Has, has anyone read Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, several here. Great allegory of, of, of Christian 
who is called to follow a path toward the celestial city, right? And, and wandering along this path, the path that God has given him, he finds distractions and temptations. There's the, 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 the slew of despond, right? Over here that, that draws him away from the path or the, or vanity fair over here. And, and various sorts of distractions. No, friends! Don't wander to the, to the right or to the left. Stay on the path of God's word. It's God's words to Joshua and for us as well. Now, in verse 8, God kind of gives some, some ways of remembering this, or we can think of them as ways of remembering. He says, first of all, to, to speak the word of God. Uh, think about your mouth. So you can even do some gestures. Overseas in Africa, we do this to help the African pastors to remember what God's word says. So you can put your hands to your mouth. Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. Okay, you don't have to do it, but you can if you want to. Speak the word of God. The idea here is speak it frequently. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth. Okay? Speak it frequently to yourself. Speak the word of God to others. Speak the word of God. Pray scripture. Discuss scripture together with others. Quote scripture. When you talk with people, allow scripture to bubble out of the overflow of your heart and your mouth will speak scripture. Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. That's our mouth. Second, head. Our head. So here, you've done this. So up here, we can do our head. Think of our head next. But you shall meditate on it day and night. Meditating on it. Filling your mind with scripture. Reading it thoughtfully. Carefully memorizing it, lingering over the word of God, pondering it, reviewing it, applying God's word. It says day and night. Do you see that in verse 8 there? Day and night. All the time thinking about God's word, reviewing it again and again. You know, as I've been thinking about this passage just in the last couple of weeks, I made a commitment in 2024 that typically I read through the New Testament a couple times, Old Testament once every year, and I'm, I'm setting aside that pattern because sometimes that's a pretty quick pace that I need to be doing every day. I'm going to slow my pace down and instead take a couple years to go through the scriptures. I invite you to do a similar sort of thing, uh, to go deep into the Word of God, thinking about how, what, what passages do I want to memorize so that it fills my mind? How can I understand the message that the author is communicating and apply it well in my life? So you've got the mouth, you've got the, the head, and then you've got hands. Hands here, okay? Hands doing the word of God. It says that there's a purpose in our meditating, and that is obedience, so that so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. The purpose of our meditating, the purpose of our speaking is, is to 
Obey God's word. Knowing the Bible, my friends, is not enough for it. Us filling our minds with scripture is not enough. We must obey it. As it says in our passage, obey all of it. It says in verse 7 and verse 8. So we've got speaking, we've got thinking, we've got doing. Okay, or if, if you're more into words and alliteration, think of mouth, mind, and motion. Or pronounce, ponder, and practice. Declare, deliberate, and do. Whatever helps you remember, we need to be people of the book. Amen? We need to be people of the book. Joshua is commanded to be a man of the word. And we find him doing this. As we turn the pages of Joshua in chapter 8, he's reading the book of the law to all the people of Israel in 24. As for me and my house, we're going to obey God's word. We're going to follow the Lord. Likewise for us. 2 Timothy chapter 3 Verses 16 and 17, God's word is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. You don't want to be half a person. You want to be complete, equipped, empowered for every good work. It comes from the word of God. Charles Spurgeon is credited with saying, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who is not. Hmm. A Bible that's falling apart, that's well used, usually belongs to someone who is not. Friends, that is the kind of person I long to be. A person who, 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 God's word is the glue that holds me together. That holds this church together. That holds you in your life together. Well, aware of Joshua's potential for fear and dismay that we see in verse 9 there, God offers four promises in John, uh, Joshua 1 that help him to fulfill his calling with courage and strength. With courage and strength. We remember that, that main point again. Be strong and courageous. Obeying God's word and trusting in God's promises. And so flip your sheet over and we get four promises from God. Four promises from God. First of all, we see the promise of abundant provision. The promise of abundant provision. For Joshua, God promises the land. The promised land. A lot of land he promises to Joshua and Israel. You see in verse 2 and verse 3, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them to the people of Israel. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. God restates to Joshua what he had previously promised to Moses. 
Several times we read about this in, in the first five books. And, and in fact, he, he clarifies verse four about the general broad brush strokes of the boundary from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So I couldn't find a, 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 a very good map that would highlight this, but just picture the promised land. You've got the wilderness all the way down to Egypt and in the south where the people of, of God have been for 40 years wandering around. That's the southern border. And then up to the north, you've got Lebanon and the, the Hittite Empire up here. You've got the River Euphrates providing the kind of the north and eastern, far eastern edges uh, of the promised land. And then all the way over to, on the west, the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea where the sun goes down. A general picture. It's, it's laid out more specifically earlier in, in uh, the Pentateuch, but this is the land that God is promising to his people. If you look with me at verse 6, I want to draw to your attention here in verse 6. God says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. That you there, we can't see it so well in English, but in in Hebrew, it is singular. Okay? Joshua becomes the vehicle through whom God's promise to their forefathers would be fulfilled for Israel. It comes through Joshua as he is obeying and doing what God has called him to do. And we take a step back now to the whole story of the Bible and we know about another. One person, Jesus Christ, who is the vehicle through whom all of God's promises are fulfilled for us, his people. In fact, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20. All the promises of God find their yes in him. All the promises of God find their yes in him. God was indeed faithful to his promise to, and, and the fulfillment of his promise. And you know what? We, we see this in, in uh, turning your Bibles just uh, some chapters later to Joshua 21. I want to share this with you. This is, God is so faithful to his promises. Uh, Joshua 21, I'm going to read verses 43 to 45 for us. And hear the the theme of God's faithfulness to his promises repeated again and again. Joshua 21, verse 43, Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed all came to pass. Every word that God had promised came to pass. 
Well, friends, for us today, now, God's promise is not physical land, but it is, according to God's word in the new covenant, our spiritual inheritance in the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul even uses that word inheritance in Ephesians 1, verse 11. For, he says in Galatians 3, that we are heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter takes this same theme, tying our imperishable inheritance that is guarded by God with other themes that we read about in our passage, obedience and the word of God. 1 Peter 1, you can look at it later. These are tied together. Ultimately, friends, our greatest inheritance, our greatest inheritance is the Lord himself. You know what I'm talking about from Psalm 73. And just let this truth fill your heart as as the the psalmist in Psalm 73 begins to be envious of, of the prosperity of the wicked, how it seems like they get ahead in life. And then God brought him into his presence and a transformation that happens in his mind. And he writes these words. Whom have I in heaven but you? You, Lord. And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen, friends? Amen. Is this your cry? Is this your passion to receive this inheritance of union with the almighty God of the universe? He is our greatest delight and our joy. In fact, we long for the day when we will dwell face to face with God in the new creation. We see that in Revelation 21, it it describes some of these elements of the new heaven and the new earth. And and in verse 7, we see the one who conquers will have this heritage, the same word, this inheritance, and I will be his God and he will be my son. We see, friends, abundant provision for Joshua and for the people of God, promised by God. We also see the second promise from God, prevailing protection, prevailing protection. In uh, verse 5, the first part of verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. No one will be able to stand. The Israel, absolutely, there were enemies. There were occupants of the promised land that they needed to conquer. It would be difficult. And yet God gave them victory again and again. We just read about that in Joshua 21. God gave them victory over every adversary as they trusted in him. Well, here in the Pacific Northwest... We don't have exactly the same kinds. I don't know. Maybe you've come across some Girgashites and some Hittites and stuff like that. But we don't have the same kinds of opposition 
but there is certainly an opposition. Maybe it's a kind of think of it as a cultural resistance. Like um, I was taking a, a walk with my daughter about a, a week and a half or two ago, and um, and we were talking with various people as we were walking, trying to share our faith with with folks. And we came across a an elderly gentleman who was walking along. We came up next to him, began to have a discussion, and and as we probed spiritual issues, he made this statement. Everyone knows that it is foolish to believe in the Christian God and the Bible. Okay, there's some resistance there. Okay. But you know what? God is faithful. We can be strong. We can be courageous even through this while we trust in God's promises. We know his word. Sometimes... I don't know, maybe this is just me, but sometimes our greatest adversary is ourselves. That self-talk that we, we tell ourselves. Oh, Eric, you can't succeed. You think you can train these pastors? You think you can get up and, and preach the word of God? You can barely keep your own act together. Who are you to step across the Jordan into the promised land? Who are you? Just sit back and, and let others do all that, that uh, agro-Christian ministry stuff. No, friends. God's word makes clear. None can defeat us. Not even we can't defeat ourselves. Because God is with us. Romans 8 says it again and again and again. God is with us. Nothing can defeat us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. Abundant provision, prevailing protection. Third, our third promise from God, abiding presence. Abiding presence. At the end And look at how he repeats this. God repeats this at the end of verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then dropping down into verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times God reassures Joshua of his abiding presence. Now Joshua had witnessed God's presence before with Moses. Like for example up on the mountain or God, uh, uh, Moses would go into the tent of meeting. Um, Exodus 30, 30, uh, 33 verse 11 says that Moses would go into the meeting, come out face glowing and all this kind of stuff. You know what it says in, in verse 11 there? Exodus 33. When Moses went out of the tent of meeting, of meeting with the Lord, Joshua stayed there, continued in God's presence. Joshua had seen God's presence with Israel. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, leading them on. And even though Moses and the pillars are gone, Yet God's presence remains with Joshua. It's a promise from God. And the truth of this promise, well, it empowers Joshua. It empowers us. 
giving us confidence and, and hope. I'm not going through life alone. You are not alone as you face the struggles, hurdles, and challenges of 2024. We have God's provision, his protection, and his presence. And this divine assurance, this promise from God, inspires God's people to do great, extraordinary things. Like in Joshua 10, we read an amazing account of Joshua fighting against the Amorites and and the sun is moving on through the sky and then Joshua prays and what happens? Ching, 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 boom. And the sun stops in the sky, the text says, for about a day. The only time in the history of mankind that we see exactly that for about a day. That's incredible. God is with his people and we think about the, the calling we have. In the Great Commission, Matthew 28, making disciples of all nations. God, how can, we, how can I go throughout Africa and train pastors? How can you go across the street and around different places to share the truth of the gospel, making disciples of, of all nations? And lo, I am with you Always, Jesus says, to the very end of the age. God is with us. You know, if we had more time, which I know we don't, but if we did, it would be so sweet to hear your testimonies of how God and his presence has carried you through some of the challenges of your life. I remember about five years ago, I was in DR Congo. That's just about the opposite side of the world, okay? As far as you can get from here. And, and I was training a group of pastors and, and I received a call from my sister telling, us that, telling me that uh, our dad had just passed away. And I felt so far from my family, so removed. But God was right there with me, giving me strength and courage to continue on, even in that remote location, to fulfill the calling that he'd given me. He gives us strength and courage through his abiding presence. And then, finally, our fourth promise that we see, the end of verse 7, the end of verse 8, pervasive success pervasive success he says at the end of verse 7 there do not turn from it to the right don't turn from the word of God to the right hand or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go and verse 8 there at the end for then you will make your way prosperous as you're obedient to God's word and then you will have good success. The result of obedience to God's word is success. It's a promise from God. They're linked together that you may have good success wherever you go. It's the pervasive element. For then, verse 8, you will make your way prosperous then you will have good success. Now, let's quickly clarify just what this prosperity and success is and is not, because there's a lot of wretched teaching in the world about this. 
The, the Hebrew term for this success is the word sakal, which has the idea of being prudent, being wise in fulfilling God's purposes. There is absolutely no notion of materialistic success, of worldly wealth, of, of health and wealth, filling our pockets and all this kind of stuff anywhere in our passage. For Joshua, being prosperous and successful meant fulfilling God's mission in a wise, responsible way. And the same exact thing is true for us. Although it's going to look different for each one of us. As we are obedient to God's word, we will be successful in fulfilling God's purposes in wise ways. It's not going to be in crossing the Jordan and, and claiming the promised land, but it will be. Well, when you think about God's purposes, the New Testament is clear. Loving God, loving others, using your gifts in the church of God, drawing other people to Jesus Christ. Micah 6 says, doing justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with your God. These are God's purposes for us. And we will have a prosperous, successful life as we obey his word. Friends, my encouragement to you for 2024 from Joshua 1 is to be strong and courageous by obeying God's word and trusting in God's promises. He calls us to arise, to go out, to be faithful to his word, being strong and courageous, speaking the word, thinking the word, doing the word of God. And he gives us promises from his word, his provision, his protection, his presence, so that we can successfully fulfill God's glorious purposes. Ultimately, to exalt the name of Jesus Christ here in this community and to the ends of the earth. Friends, will you pray with me to that end?